Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch, 3-2, driven to the air to deep left, down the line. This may go, going, going, and gone, goodbye! Bang! Zoom goes to Morrow Vargas. His fourth home run of the year. Vargas gives the Nationals a one-run cushion to the bottom of the fifth inning. It's now Washington 3, Cincinnati 2. Finnegan ready. The 1-0 delivery. Swing and a ground ball chopped over Finnegan. Here comes Abrams near the bag at second. Fires on the first. And a curly W is in the books. The Nationals have defeated the Reds. And the streak of consecutive games without a win. A major league record at 43 in a row. Comes to an end here this afternoon. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, August 29th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It has been said that nothing lasts forever. Who knows if that's true, but I do know this. The Nats streak of not having a starting pitcher register a win in a game will not last forever. The streak is over, and thanks to... Patrick Corbin. Thank you, Patrick. Let's get that hashtag trending. A 3-2 win over the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon to avoid a three-game sweep as your 2022 Nats opening day starter, in theory, right, the number one pitcher in the rotation, the ace, the stopper, that guy, Patrick Corbin, two runs, one earned in six innings. He was good, and he got the win. He improved to 5-17 and this season, and him getting the win Ended the streak, a streak that you no doubt had heard about. The Nats streak of 43 consecutive games without a starting pitcher earning a win. Longest such streak in modern Major League history. Mark, the streak is no more. It is nice that we no longer have to talk, read, or hear about the streak. Let the streak go away and never be heard from again. As the great Charlie Slows would say, remember where you are, so you remember where you were when the streak ended here on Sunday, August 28th, 2022. I'll tell you what, though. First of all, all credit to Patrick Corbin. He earned that win. But I'll also say this. I thought this game was the perfect example of why that stat and that streak is reflective of so much more than a starting pitcher. To get him the win, you need a good start. You need some offensive support. And then you need the bullpen to lock it down. And they did all of those things well. 
and timed it out perfectly to end the streak. There were opportunities over the last seven weeks or whatever it was where other games could have been won and it wasn't because it was the starter's fault, but because the other things didn't come into play. In this case, they did all the right things at the right moments, just enough <laughs> to win a game three to two. And it feels like these days that's their only path to winning. It's got to be three, two, three, one. They are not scoring runs. So they needed all three of those runs today. Yeah. The Nats these days are not playing small ball. They're playing microscopic ball. Okay. Like this is how they win. This is how they have to win. I mean, even with other teams with bad offenses, you get the occasional offensive outbursts. I mean, you really just are not getting that at all with this team these days. It's really something. So you got to figure out other ways to get the job done. And the Nats figure out a way to get the job done. I mean, I, I think it's funny with the streak, right? Because, you know, we all by now understand pitcher wins and how meaningless of a stat that is. But, you know, with this team this season, it is reflective of the nature of the team and of the season, right? I mean, pitcher wins in a lot of ways a team stat. This is not a team that is winning often enough. And while for a good chunk of the season, the starting pitching hasn't been good, I think it's kind of funny that this streak happens now with the starting pitching actually having been better. You know, you could argue like in some ways the starting pitching hasn't deserved to have this streak these last few weeks because the pitching has been at least decent or passable. And really the offense has been the culprit. But yeah, Patrick Corbin was good in this game. I mean, look, we know it. The Reds are not a good team. And there would have been a particular indignity of being swept by this Reds team, given how bad the team is. We know the Nats are worse, but still, I mean, you'd like to get at least a win in the series and the Nats end up doing that. And, you know, it's funny how things can play out too from a standpoint of, okay, so Patrick Corbin pitches well, is at 82 pitches and gets pulled from the game. And Davey Martinez goes with his A bullpen, Hunter Harvey, Carl Edwards Jr., Kyle Finnegan. Certainly, the fact that the Nats have yet another off day coming up on Monday is a part of that. But you got to think Davey was like wanting to get this win, wanting to get Corbin the win. You go with the A bullpen, you put all hands on deck, and you make sure to seal the victory. Yeah, you don't take any chances there. It's understanding the situation. Like you said, they're off the next day. Those three have been very good in the big picture, Harvey, Edwards, and Finnegan. And I think part of him also, and I know we scoff at this sometimes, but you say, you know what, given the kind of season Patrick Corbin has had and given the streak that's at stake here today, do you really want to take that chance, put him back out there for the seventh and all of a sudden just one runner gets on, get into a little bit of a jam, you decide, all right, we're going to go to the bullpen here. Next thing you know, the tying run scores and the streak lives. Do you really want to do that to him? So it was a little bit of uh, George Costanza, let him leave on a high note situation, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that at all, especially knowing the next day was off and that those three guys have been quite good for them. But I want to go back real quick. You mentioned how the rotation has been good here lately. The last 10 games, the rotation as a whole has a 391 ERA. And you say, well, that's good, but not great. Take out the uh, Kate Cavalli debut on Friday night and it's 2.91. So the starters have put them in position to win games. It's really been more reflection of the offense here lately. So it was nice to see a quality start, get rewarded here. And I think Davey managed that all perfectly, how to set it up for the late innings. As awful of a season as this has been for Patrick Corbin, he now has a couple of things that he can at least point to and proudly boast of. So first of all, what he did on Sunday, snapping the winless streak for Nat starting pitchers. But remember, May 4th, 5-2 loss at Colorado, Corbin became the first Nats starting pitcher this season to toss a complete game. Now, it was a game in which he allowed five runs, three earned in eight innings, but he technically had the first complete game of this season. So it's funny, as bad of a year as Corbin has had, he actually has a couple of things now that he can point to. But he was good in this game on Sunday, all credit to him. Like we said, two runs, one earned 
in six innings. Gave up just four hits, a homer, and three singles. Five strikeouts versus one walk. 82 pitches, 52 strikes versus 30 balls. We know that he does this once every, I don't know, three, four, five starts, whatever number you want to pick. He has a good outing. He does just enough to make you think that maybe possibly the Corbett of old can be summoned once again. And I think by now we're kind of coming to the realization that that's probably not going to be happening, but he does do this. Like it's not like every outing is just some garbage outing from him. He still is capable of having a good outing and he had a good outing on Sunday. He did. Let's remember who he's facing as well. We have to acknowledge that this Reds lineup did not feature a whole lot of names that most people out there would know or be too intimidated by. But he pitched his way out of some early trouble that could have gotten worse. The first inning, he gives a back-to-back ground ball singles through the right side of the infield that if they're positioned a little differently, those might be out. And then Joey Manessis bobbles a ball in right field. Now, all of a sudden, he's in a jam. First and third, nobody out. So I actually like what he did there. He got out of it. The one run, it wasn't earned, but closed that down and didn't let that first inning spiral out of control, which, of course, we have seen from him more than once this year. Then a leadoff homer in the second, and that ball was tagged by Stuart Fairchild, owner of a uh, 100 career batting average, five for 50 prior to that one. But then again, Corbin, just when things could fall apart, clamps down, three straight outs, couple strikeouts, and then he really, the rest of the way, never let them sniff anything. So he did what he needed to do in this one. As far as the bigger picture goes, let's see now the rest of the way. Because after the next series against the A's, The Nats are basically playing contenders and or NL East opponents the rest of the way. So he's going to get a healthy dose of games against the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, the Cardinals. Let's see how that all goes before we make any declarations. I would still be quite concerned about his ability to be effective against them. But nice little run here after the the mental break that he took a couple weeks ago. So any positives are a good thing right now for Patrick Corbin. Yeah. I mean, I have no confidence in him down the stretch. Okay. I mean, I think he's going to get torched by those teams. Let's make that clear. But at least when he faces the Marlins and the Pirates and the Reds, he can be all right. You know, he's kind of like a bully. When he faces someone smaller than him and lesser than him, he can do just fine. And then when he faces a big boy, he gets uh, brushed back and, and thrown to the side. So, all right. But if he can bully at least the weaker hitting teams in baseball, maybe there's something to that. But yeah, did a nice job on Sunday. And then the Nats bullpen, Hunter Harvey, man, this guy continues to look so good. Scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts. Coral Edwards Jr., a perfect top of the eighth. Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the ninth. I mean, these days, this is your Nats A bullpen. It's been pretty effective for the most part here lately, especially Hunter Harvey. I mean, I know we keep saying this, like we don't know how long this is going to last for. You're almost waiting for that next Hunter Harvey injury to pop up, but Harvey now for the Nats this season, 24 games, 22 and two-thirds innings, 27 strikeouts, ERA at 278, whip of 0.97. He is really impressive, and if for some reason they ever needed him to close a game, I mean, he is coming off like a closer. I mean, I don't think you could have any reservation right now anyway, given that he's healthy, to have him close out a game. He certainly has closer stuff. No, 100%. And I wouldn't be surprised if a situation arises at some point before the season's over and Davey Martinez gives him a shot because, let's remember, his father, Brian Harvey, longtime closer in the big leagues with the Marlins. I know it would mean a lot to both Brian and Hunter Harvey if he finally gets that opportunity. He thought he was going to get it in LA last month. He was warming up to pitch the ninth. It was a close game and then they tacked on some runs and all of a sudden it was no longer a safe situation. But I know he was really anxious about that. I think an opportunity may arise here where he finally gets to do it. But look, right now, I think what stands out to me about him, 
he's throwing 100 miles an hour. He consistently is hitting that number here in recent outings. He's also throwing strikes. It was uh, 13 out of 16 in this game. How often do you see a guy who throws that hard and say he actually has pinpoint command and getting strikes? He's not falling behind hitters. He's not issuing walks. He's not getting himself into trouble with that or having these long innings. They've been pretty clean innings. That's a great sign. And you just keep your fingers crossed that he can stay healthy through all this. And if somehow, knock on wood, this turns out to be something for them, what a find, what a great addition. And of all the problems that this team has going into the offseason in the next year, if they could go into 2023 with Hunter Harvey, Carl Edwards Jr., and Kyle Finnegan in their bullpen, that's a nice place to be for a team that doesn't have a whole lot else that's certain. Well, as a nat-turned-Oriole in Austin Voth continues to kill it for the O's, and he did it again on Sunday, one run in six innings. His ERA for the O's now is at 272. At least the Nats can trumpet an Oriole-turned Nat in Hunter Harvey, who actually is giving the Nats more than he ever gave the O's. At least you have that if you're the Nats. I don't think that that makes up for the Austin Voth thing, but at least it is something. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Ildemaro Vargas? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three two to the plate, and it's low ball four. 
And Romine turns around to say something to Jeremy Riggs, the home plate umpire, as Hernandez will come in to score. That's now 2-1. to one. The Reds lead cut in half. So with the Nats offense these days, we know how it is. Uh, the team isn't hitting very much. The team isn't scoring very much. This is now 15 total runs for the Nats over the team's last seven games. The Nats won on Sunday despite totaling a mere six hits and one walk, one for four with runners in scoring position. I mean, man, it is really hard to win when you are totaling, you know, five, six hits a game, you know, just a few walks. You're barely getting any at-bats with runners in scoring position. But you know what? When you have the likes of Ildemaro Vargas and Joey Manessis, I guess all can be well and all continues to be well, certainly with those two guys. You know, it says a lot about a lot that the Nats' top two batters right now are Joey Manessis and Ildemaro Vargas. But at the same time, you got to salute the job that these guys are doing. Ildemaro Vargas on Sunday for the Nats, one for three with a solo homer. He and the Nats one run fifth, a leadoff full count homer to left field for a 3-2 Nats lead. He continues to tear it up. His OPS now is at 861 over 76 plate appearances with the Nats, all of which have come since the Nats on August 1st selected his contract from AAA Rochester. And then with Manessis, you know, it's not like he had some monster game on Sunday, but he did do something that I think is pretty impressive. So Manessis in this game on Sunday goes one for three with a single and a hit by pitch. The single coming in the bottom of the fifth, a two-out single. The hit gave him 28 hits over his first 22 career Major League games. Most hits by a rookie over his first 22 career Major League games for the Nats since the franchise came to D.C. That's a pretty impressive accomplishment. And I saw you tweet, Anthony Rendon had held the previous marks. That's pretty good company for Joey Manessis. Yeah, the kind of guys who do that sort of thing go on to have very good careers. It doesn't guarantee anything for Joey Manessis and certainly a very different position that he's in right now than Anthony Rendon was or Ryan Zimmerman was. He was the record holder before Rendon for that. So we'll see. But we've been talking about this. I do like how he's making these adjustments. And the first you know, week to 10 days, he was Joey Fourbags, blasting everything out of the park. Pitchers start to get a book on him. Okay, well, we can't come inside on him. We got to keep him way, away, away, breaking balls, all that kind of stuff. And what's he doing? He's taking those pitches and going the other way with them and notching his singles. So that's great. That's a sign that you are a real hitter and that you know what you're doing up there. This is a game of adjustments. He's making the adjustment here. There'll be more of those to come. He hasn't established himself by any means yet, but let's see if he can keep that up the rest of the year and then go into next season and now, again, figure out what teams are trying to do against him and find what he needs to do then to be successful. But you can't deny it's been really impressive here so far. And for a team that is not getting production from hardly anybody else, they have desperately needed, I can't believe I'm saying this, they have desperately needed Joey Manessis's bat over the last month. It's the kind of thing that if you'd have taken the audio of what you just said and played it to yourself from a month ago, we'd have been like, what are you talking about? But of course, it makes perfect sense now as we're near the end of the month of August. Joey Manessis has an OPS of 954 over 89 career Major League Plate appearances, all of which have come since the Nats on August 2nd. Remember uh, what was trade deadline day, selected his contract from AAA Rochester. So it really is something what he's doing. Now, you know, look, the defense remains a concern. He did have an error in this game on Sunday in the Reds' one run first, a fielding error on an opposite field single by Alejo Lopez to right field. Manessis overran the ball, but the hitting makes up for it. I mean, if he's going to continue to hit like this, he can go ahead and have the occasional screw up in the field 
Uh, it's been nice to see this. And, you know, I know we've said like, well, is it going to continue? What does this mean long term? I don't know that you can have any real faith that any of this means anything long term. I mean, a lot of this could end up being what we saw last season from guys like Lane Thomas and Elcides Escobar. And, it, you know, it ends up not meaning much, at least, you know, looking back on things right now, not meaning much. But for the moment, you take it and uh, you ride it and you see kind of where it ends up taking you. So with some of these Nats who continue to struggle, C.J. Abrams ended up going hitless in this series. This was a rough series for him. It's been a rough go of it for him. We've talked about it. I mean, you want to be patient with him. You don't want to arrive at any major conclusions. Do you think that, I mean, is Abrams just going to be out there the rest of the season no matter what? Do you think the offensive struggles might cause Davey Martinez to give him a rest here or there? What do you think the tact is going to be from Davey with Abrams you know, really having a, a tough go of it so far offensively? No, I think he's going to be out there every day or, you know, maybe a day or two off along the way for various reasons, but not performance-based, I don't think. Now, that said, there were some pretty weak at-bats in there, a little pop-up to the catcher in the fourth inning. So that's the inning where they finally had a chance to do something big. They load the bases with nobody out. Nelson Cruz draws a walk on what sure looked like a, a strike. 3-2 pitch that was clearly in the zone. Jeremy Riggs, the home plate umpire, said no. And so they get that. So they have a chance at a big inning. And C.J. Abrams comes up there and swings at two curveballs that were not anywhere close to the zip code of the strike zone. And now he's behind the count 2 He ends up getting called out on a third strike. He's got work to do there, obviously. Now, like you said, he's 21. In all likelihood, he probably should still be at AAA. But the situation the Nationals are in, the fact that he was playing most of the season in the big leagues for the Padres because of Fernando Tatis's injury earlier in the year, it dictates that, yes, you put him up here and you just kind of let him sink or swim as long as they don't think it's hurting his development. I don't believe they do. But he's got a lot on his plate right now. They're trying to get him you know, defensively to be locked down at shortstop, also try to hit at the big league level, and it hasn't happened a lot yet. He's got to get more under control. He's got to recognize pitches better. He's got to stay in the strike zone. There's a lot to do there. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good hitter someday, but we can see just how raw he is. And I think we have to remind ourselves he is very young, very inexperienced, and in a perfect world, probably shouldn't be up here yet. It's worth remembering Baseball America entering this season cited C.J. Abrams as the best hitter in all of minor league baseball. Like He's not just some all-defense shortstop. He's supposed to be someone who can hit. You know, it's interesting, though, hearing you say what you just said. I mean, we saw the Nats demonstrate extreme discipline with Cade Cavalli and not call him up until they felt that he was ready and not let what was going on at the major league level govern what they did with Cavalli at the minor league level. Why didn't they apply that to Abrams? I mean, I was super excited to see him debut. If the Nats didn't think that he was ready, why did they bring him up so quickly? I think it may have something to do with the fact that he was in the big leagues all year with San Diego. So it's not like this was his major league debut. What kind of look is that if you just acquired him in that kind of trade? He spent the first four months essentially in the big leagues. And now you're saying, well, no, actually, we're going to put him at AAA. So maybe there is a little bit of a public image to that and wanting to be able to start to show at least a couple of the players they got in that trade being big league ready. I think it's also a reflection of what are the alternatives? You're going to keep Luis Garcia at shortstop, which as we all knew was a probably a hopeless cause and wanting to get him to second base. The fact they can play together, I think that does matter. They want them working together. So unless you're going to stick them both at AAA, and God knows what that would look like at the major league level if that was the case. I think it makes sense for that, but I think there's also an understanding here of he has a lot to learn. 
in a different situation, they probably would have been able to take it a little more slowly with him. But I think the situation they're in, it makes sense for him to be up here. 45 plate appearances for Abrams at the major league level with the Nats. It's a small sample size, so you know no one's going to go nuts with this, but the OPS is 292. I mean, he really just has not done much of anything. He has six hits. All of them are singles. He has yet to draw a walk. There's just not a lot happening with him offensively. Has looked good in the field, so the fielding is playing, but uh, the hitting obviously has a ways to go. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, Two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back-to-school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash NatsChat. Lodolo ready for a 2-1. He deals. Swinging a shot up the middle, and it's a base hit. Past the diving second baseman, Lopez. Scoring is Manessis. Trying to score is Voigt. The throw from Friedel. The dive of the tag is in time for the out. Voigt is cut down with a diving tag from Romine, and the game will be tied. Well, when you're not hitting much as a team, the last thing that you want to be doing is making outs on the base pass. Uh, We know that that has been a bit of an issue for the Nats this season, and uh, the issue reared its ugly head once again on Sunday. So the Nats in this game scored the three runs. Uh, Luke Voigt, in what was the Nats' two-run fourth, drew a hit by pitch, but he ended up getting thrown out at home, wait for it, by a mile. How many times have you heard that phrase this season? Player X on the Nats, thrown out at home by a mile. This was for the third out. This came on a Riley Adams two-out RBI single up the middle to tie the game at two. Was this, in fact, another ill-advised send by third base coach Gary DeSarcina from what you saw? I think so, but I think it starts with the fact that Luke Voigt was not in a great position to try to round third and score. 
not the fleetest of foot. I don't think he got a great jump on it on with two outs. And I guess what it boils down to is as a third base coach, you can't just look at what type of hit it was or what the outfielder's arm is. You have to also in real time pick up what kind of base running is happening in front of you. And if anything doesn't look right off the bat there, you have to say, hang on, I don't think I should send him. I think it's notable that they've had 19 runners thrown out of the plate this year. That's tied with the Royals for most of the majors. And just think anecdotally about which guys we feel like are getting thrown out the most. It's Luke Voigt. It's Nelson Cruz. It was Josh Bell before the injury. It was Yadiel Hernandez before he got hurt. We're not seeing Cesar Hernandez, Victor Robles, CJ Abrams, you know, Lane Thomas. It is the slower runners. And so I think the issue here is a combination of the decision to wave them around, but also that these are not good base runners to begin with and not putting themselves in a good position. And so maybe you don't push the envelope so much when it's one of those guys because they're not getting thrown out on close plays at the plate. They're getting thrown out by a lot. And that says to me, it's not just the waving around. It's they aren't in a position that you think they should be on that kind of hit to try to score. Yeah, I don't really get that. I mean, DeSarcina, he's not like new to baseball. He understands all this stuff. You know, we're not saying anything that he doesn't already know. And we've seen enough of guys get thrown out, wait for it, by a mile this season at home plate to where you're like, this shouldn't keep happening like it's happening. And yet it does. And, you know, I guess you could say, well, you know, the Nats aren't scoring runs. And so they kind of feel this impetus to try to push the envelope a little bit. And, you know, you can understand that to a point. But, you know, there's a line between aggression and just foolishness. And it feels foolish when, again, guys keep getting thrown out by so much. I mean, what happened on this Voight play, for those who didn't watch the game, he ends up sliding not like right into home plate. He's tried to slide like around home plate. He was like near the pitcher's mound when he got tagged out. Like he was so out. I guess he was thinking like, let me try something to try to slide around the tag. But it's instructive of like how out he was. Like, and he knew that he was out. And, you know, he's not a great base runner to begin with. And so, you know, he's going to try something like that. It's not going to look great. You know, you wonder too about guys getting hurt. You know, if you're sending someone home who's not very fast and who is older and kind of a bulkier guy and, you know, Voight's a pretty jacked up guy, like a guy can get hurt in a situation like that. Like you said, and we've seen this countless times as well, these runners are left either going in standing up or trying to make crazy elude the tag plays that have little chance of working because they are DOA on all of these. And so, I would feel a little different if it was the fast guys getting thrown out. But the fact that it seems like it's always the slow guys tells me a few things. And I know you can't really play this game because who knows what would have happened. It's not apples to apples. But in the on-deck circles, that happens is Ildemaro Vargas. What happens when he leads off the fifth inning, lead off homer? I'm not saying he would have hit a grand slam, but boy, it would have been nice the way he's been hitting lately to let him at least have a chance to come up there with the bases loaded and two outs instead of squandering that and going to the next inning. Sometimes, especially back in the old National League days with pitchers hitting, you wave a guy around when it's the bottom of the order because you don't trust those guys to get a hit. And maybe when it's Victor Robles behind him or the pitcher spot, you don't do that. But Vargas has done enough, as we've seen, to say that's not a reason to wave a guy around. Like He could still drive him in. So it just feels like there's a lot there. And I get it's tough in the moment, but it felt like that wasn't worth the risk. There wasn't a high enough percentage chance of him scoring. And it felt like you had a better chance if you just held him and let the next guy try to drive him in. You mentioned Victor Robles. 
He started all three games for the Nats in this series. He went one for 11 in the series with a single. Victor Robles on Sunday, 0 for 3 with a strikeout. He, in the month of August, is slugging 190. He continues to have just a terrible offensive season. You know, there was a brief spurt where he was starting to do a little bit better. The numbers have come crashing down. OPS of 571 on the year, slugging percentage 295 on the year. We know the story with Robles at this point. I want to ask you this. Do you think we're seeing the end of Victor Robles, perhaps with the Nats overall, or at the very least as an everyday player for the Nats? Or do you think it's possible that next season he still is out there on at least a semi-every-game basis just because the Nats don't have much else right now in center field? Well, first of all, we have seen them try to make him not an everyday player (laughs) multiple times over the last, you know, really 12 months. And because of other things happening around them, they just find themselves in the spot where they think, well, he's still the best we've got. So if Yadiel Hernandez doesn't suffer what's now a season-ending calf injury, different story. You can have Yadiel in left and Lane Thomas in center and Manessis in right. Yadiel's out. Your only other outfielders now are Alex Call and Josh Palacios. Not to say that they're not worth taking a look at because you don't really know what you have, but it's not like there's anybody that's so clearly demanding to be playing ahead of Victor. I'm sure defense is part of it wanting to try to put your best foot forward out there and help your pitching staff out. But I don't know. I think it has to do with what else they do. I don't think they would go into next season saying, hey, Victor, you're still our starting center fielder. But I also, at this point, I'm not sure they would just give up altogether and say, well, we clearly have four or five better outfielders. And so we're going to dump him and take the chance that somebody else turns him into the player that he was always supposed to be. Well, you know, you just mentioned a couple of guys who the Nats aren't playing. Alex Cole did not start any game in this series. I think he's looked okay. I mean, I don't know what he is moving forward, but at least give him more of a look. Josh Palacios, they don't seem to have any interest in playing. They keep calling him up and then they do not play him. Again, maybe he's nothing, but why not give him more of a look? Like, you do have other options. I mean, I I thought about this. If you're Andrew Stevenson, how do you feel about where you rank in the organizational outfield hierarchy right now? Andrew Stevenson has been toiling at AAA Rochester with all of the injuries and the struggles for Nats outfielders this season. Stevenson, I don't think he has been called up this season, has he? I don't recall him having been called up, and yet you know he's been passed by by all these other guys. So it's like, look, the options aren't great. I'm not trying to say that they are, but there are other people. You know, look, if you're just trying to use the rest of this season to give Victor Robles one last shot at this, fine. I don't really have an issue with that. But like there are other avenues the Nats could go down in these remaining weeks of their season. And at least right now, they're not going down those avenues. Yeah. So the deal with Stevenson, remember, is late in spring training, he was actually DFA'd. He cleared waivers, decided to stick around and go to AAA, but he is not on the 40-man roster. So for them to bring him back, they would have to clear a spot, do that. And then if they didn't keep him, go through that whole process again. So that does tell you what they think about him. But I mean, think about guys like Andrew Stevenson, Jake Knoll, Adrian Sanchez. There are several players who we've seen here in the past and we thought maybe could be a part of this, even when the team was good, who have been buried at AAA and are not getting the call now. They're way down the depth chart and I wouldn't expect anything to happen with them anytime soon. All right, so next up for the Nats is another off day. It's crazy with this Nats schedule. It feels like they either go two weeks without an off day, or now they have the stretch of three off days in eight days. Like, you couldn't spread this out a little more, MLB. But anyway, another off day for the Nats on Monday. And then comes a series against the American League worst Oakland A's Tuesday through Thursday, and what will be a battle of the two worst teams 
in baseball this season. The Nats are going Eric Fetty, Anibal Sanchez, and Cade Cavalli. So Thursday afternoon will be start number two for Cade Cavalli. Yeah, which we kind of speculated all along. They could have kept him on a true five-day rotation and had him start Wednesday. But with the days off, they want to make sure everybody is staying somewhat fresh and not you know, having somebody have to sit out a week without pitching. So he goes there. And I think it's interesting, Davey did say before the game that when they have these opportunities, they're probably going to give Cavalli the extra day of rest. Same with Josiah Gray, who will be back in the rotation next weekend against the Mets at some point. Cavalli was basically pitching every sixth day at AAA. The way the AAA schedule is now, nobody plays on Mondays. You have a six-game series Tuesday through Sunday. So they've been letting all those guys have an extra day, and they're watching his innings, of course. Same with Gray. They're going to try to find some opportunities to do that, I think. And so if you're trying to figure out when is Cavalli's next start, don't always just assume it's going to be the fifth day after he pitches. It could be six days more often than not. Yeah, and that's how this homestand against the A's, and then comes a mammoth 10-game road trip, three games at the Mets, four games at St. Louis, three games at Philadelphia. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit us up, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.com. Dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. The streak is over. Thank goodness. And we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we'll say it now. Remember where you